When we have programmers on the encouragers, our point isn't just to encourage. We want to make our point that a great programmer isn't just someone who manages talent, maybe makes a music log every day, takes care of the on-air sound. Great programmers today generate revenue. That's what great programmers do in our business. That's our story today, too, and we're going to get into it. Welcome to the Radio Rally on the Clubhouse. What you are about to hear will be focused on lifting you up, giving you good advice, hearing the stories from an amazing radio pro, and uncovering the path forward in radio right now. Today's live event will be a podcast called the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, and will become available soon after the end of this live event, wherever you get your podcast. Our thanks to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast events and JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing them. Today is January 3rd, 2022. We welcome Bruce Logan, Operations Manager and Brand Content Director at Hubbard Broadcasting in West Palm Beach, Florida. But before we get started with Bruce, I want to share two upcoming guests coming to the Encouragers. First, on Wednesday, just two days from right now, you can join us on our Wednesday live event, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, called the Innovation in Audio event. Join us for a visit with Alabama Secretary of State John Merrill. Uh, On innovation and audio, by the way, we look at innovation from all angles. And Wednesday, we're going to take a look at how the state of Alabama looks at innovation in the 21st century. Then next Monday, I hope you'll join us again on the radio rally as we welcome two absolutely remarkable guests. Monday, January 10th, Molly Kendrick, who is the social media captain for CHR and Hot AC at Odyssey, will be with us. Also, Kat Haley. She's a content creator on TikTok, what they call a TikTok star. By the way, if you want to put legitimacy with that, try this on. She has 765,000 followers. She's also the host of SiriusXM's TikTok channel. I will be joined next Monday by my co-host, Corey Dillon, from 100.7 Big FM in San Diego, California. And you will want to be here for an opportunity to learn about effective social media and look at the powerful rise of all three of these important women in radio. Connect with the people that you see on the stage tonight. Look around the room as the the event develops and connect with others here. Of course, we are an opportunity to mix it up with pros at radio at all levels. Encouragement is our purpose. We believe that networking is a big part of that, and we always want to encourage you to network regularly. We are very fortunate today to have a guest who has been battle-tested in multiple different markets in diverse, competitive environments, and sometimes with not a lot of resources. This sounds like a radio story in the 21st century, doesn't it? Bruce Logan is has kind of always been somebody who is very serious, but also very fun. In his last three jobs, listen to this. He's been the regional vice president of programming for iHeartMedia, vice president of programming in Houston for Intercom, now Odyssey, and his current role, he is the operations manager and brand content director for Hubbard Broadcasting in West Palm Beach, Florida. Bruce, Welcome to the Encouragers and the Radio Rally. It's our pleasure to have you on board. How are you? 
I'm great, Lloyd. Thank you for inviting me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. You know, look, we always like to check in with our guest uh, and kind of how this whole crazy business started for you. The, the radio life isn't for everybody. If you've been in radio for more than five minutes, you know that's true. I'm assuming at some point, maybe in your teen years, you're at home, minding your own business, and the idea of a radio came up somehow. Is that about right, or did you uh, fall into radio later? Tell no, us about was, your, your your first experience in the radio business. Well, it was definitely early. I, I uh, As a kid, I was, I was probably 13, 14 years old, and a, a family friend offered me something like $25 an hour to help him put the blacktop ceiling down on a parking lot. No. And I'm, I'm putting this parking lot ceiling down, and it's, I don't know, August and 85 in Louisville, Kentucky. And it was it was miserable. Uh, yeah. $25 an hour in uh, the 80s was pretty great when you're, when you're a teenager. But I remember sitting in the bottom of the shower trying to scrape that crap off my hands, mm -hmm. um, all that blacktop tar. And I'm like, I'm never going to work for a living in my life. Um, I'm not. This is awful. I'm not going to do this. And um, I had the good fortune to take an art class in high school, and I was sitting next to this kid who was, um, we were making, I don't know, some sort of incredibly artistic and wonderful ashtrays or something out of clay, which mm. is what kids kids should be doing. And, and just come to find out, his name is John, his name is JR, and uh, he was working part-time at a, at a top 40 radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. And he's like, you know, they're always looking for people like you that'll help. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a good job. Um, so he got me an interview and uh, I got hired. And uh, my first job was running Rick D's weekly top 40 on WJYL in Louisville, Kentucky in 1980, I don't know, two, three, something like that. Not a bad start. So listen, did you have an on-air goal early in your career? You know, uh, I want to replace Dick Clark, or for those who are a little bit younger, this would have been, I want to replace Ryan Seacrest. Did you, <laughs> did you want to be on a big morning show, or did you have some other on-air goal? You know, I was always fascinated by the talent, and it's still my favorite part of the job is working with talent. Um, but I never saw myself that way. I was, I was average. I, I would consider myself a slightly better than average, uh, more music jock. I can, I can keep the music rolling. I can put together fairly concise sentences and, um, I was okay, but I never, it, it wasn't really the on air stuff that was of interest to me. It was always the blend of science and art and the program directors. Oh. Uh, I've, I've been able to work with a lot of really spectacular talent. Um, but all of my mentors and all of the people that I look up to have always been the programmers, the scientists, the people who blend the science and the art. Um, that's always been when I was, I remember as a kid, I figured out before I even knew what rotations were, I figured out what rotations were because I, they played my favorite song every two hours and 20 minutes. And I would be able to turn the radio on. I'd know when it was coming. I could predict it. And, um, I, I would go listen to my favorite song again. You're saying a lot of torturous things. We had Guy Zapolian on, and he talked about how he got in the radio business because he just started charting things out. 
I mean, literally, it like called him to the center of his universe. And and I don't want to get too far into this conversation without mentioning that Aaron Michael, who we had on last week, and it was not planned that these interviews would be back to back. But I just want to tell you, he gives you extraordinarily high marks as a programmer and as a, what would you say, a mentor, maybe? And and, and by the way, we've heard that from several different people sprinkled around your broadcast career. So I'm just going to make you a little red faced as we talk good things about Bruce Logan and what I hear from talent about you. So so listen, do you think this business picked you or did you pick radio and did you feel immediately comfortable in the world of radio? I felt so comfortable. It all made sense to me. It made it made sense to me in a in a way that quite honestly most of the world didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, I I I did. I felt I felt instantly. I don't know how to answer the question of did it pick me or I pick it. Um, I, I can't imagine. I mean, I did other jobs. I I uh, demonstrated small kitchen appliances in Kmart stores. Oh, um, how'd you like that? I, I was awful. It was absolutely awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being a being a, uh, a teenager standing uh, in a in a Kmart wearing an apron while your friends walked up was not really the greatest way to build self esteem. I can tell you that while you were making peanut butter in a blender or whatever. Um, yeah, that ain't cool. But I, you know, I don't know whether I don't know how to say that. I, I did other jobs, but there's just nothing that ever fit or ever made sense um, like radio did. I just I pursued it. I pursued it nonstop, much to my parents' chagrin. Uh, we I, I dropped out of college to join a morning show. So oh, you uh, did? Yeah, my my parents. It's still kind of a running joke with my family of that they always wanted me to have a backup career. So now I've been doing this for um, you know thirty five years or whatever it is. And um, uh, what's your what's your backup career, Bruce? Oh, they wanted me. They wanted well. I I changed majors several times in college. There isn't a backup career at this point. It's probably homeless. Um, maybe I could go back to small appliance demonstration if they still do that. Um, but no, there's really no backup career. But it's still a joke. Every time, every time I'm fortunate enough to uh, be on some list somewhere or with some industry award, I will send it to my mom and tell her I'm still looking for my backup plan. So nice. Well, listen, this question, I I just think this is true. I've never discussed this with you, but I think this is true. This might be the most exciting question for you and Uh for me. Okay. Uh When did you know, when did you know you wanted to program radio stations? Um. Uh, I always, there's, there's never, I, like I said, I never wanted to not be, I never wanted to be a disc jockey. I always wanted to know how mm-hmm. things went together. So just kind of always, but I was probably, um, I was, uh, at my first job, I was 15. My mom drove me to it. Like I said, running the Rick D's weekly top 40. Mm-hmm. I, I started a few weeks before I could get my driver's license. And, um, I was fascinated by the program director. His name was Mark Williams. And I was scared to death of him. Um, I, I was, I was scared to death of him. He was, in fact, I'm still a little scared of him and I haven't talked to him in 30 years. Um, still a little scared of him, uh, scared to death. And, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. I had, that's, that's where my head was. It was the science and the art and I liked the imaging and I listened to radio stations based upon what was between the records, not what was going, what, not the songs. 
It's so interesting that everybody's journey sounds similar in some ways, but like for me, I didn't even think about programming a radio station until a moment of necessity occurred and Rusty Walker was in that moment and it all clicked for me. It, I was like, oh my God, I'm doing the wrong thing. I should be doing this. Hmm. And it changed everything for me. Yeah. Listen, you and I worked at different times at WCHY in Savannah. I've always thought those are the perfect damn call letters for a country station. I I don't know what happened, but but what was WCHY like when you arrived on the scene in Savannah? You know, it's funny. I guess, Lloyd, I guess I forgot that you had been at CHY. I know. Uh, I, I guess I had forgotten that because I, I knew it's going to it's going to be a pattern that 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 will come up on. I've I've kind of followed you around. It's kind of uh, weird. Um, well, uh, there's, that, there's that's an overstatement, but OK. <laughs> well, there's PDs. Well, we have we have at least three radio stations in common that I am aware of. And that's um, and, and there were many PDs in the middle, uh, between right. you leaving and, and me taking the, the, the reins, because one of the things that I'll probably talk about in the next hour is, is that I just kind of developed this, uh, reputation for taking over troubled properties. And, and oh, I, nice. I, I think it's important to point out that, that I never immediately followed you. There was always yes, people yes, yes. But between us. And I just want to make sure that I stated that. But but CHY in Savannah uh, was a radio station that um, uh, was pretty broke. Well, I don't know if it was pretty broken. I don't know how to answer that question. Mm. It was a long time ago. But the, but the thing right. that I know is, is that, that the radio station had been winning for a very long time. And and through some budget cuts, even back in the mid '90s, they had mm-hmm. gotten to the point where they didn't have they had people serving dual roles, and the radio station had become not as important, and that didn't they had a talent, a good talent, uh, who was being the program director, who probably shouldn't have been the program director. They probably should have continued to be a great talent. And um, so I that's how I, I took over. We had we had lost. Well, the to be fair, yeah, w, WCHY also inherited a new competitor who owned a television station and Correct. slung that around pretty freely. So that is a impediment. Yeah, that was uh, uh, WJCL, J, J something, JCL and, JCL, right. and, JCL and Savannah. Um, anyway, CHY had won for quite a while. JCL signed on, as you said, and beat them in the first book. And that instig- instigated a, a program director change. And that was when I came in. And we managed to um, fix the radio station and win in our very first book. And that that's while that was my second programming job, mm-hmm. it was my first real programming job. The first what was your What was your first one? Yeah. Yeah, the first one was at, at um, uh, it was in Louisville, um, and uh, WDJX, which is a, a famous CHR station, still oh, yeah. famous CHR station. I was working part-time. They had a competitor across town called KISS uh, 104, and uh, mm-hmm. this was back in the days of LMAs, and, and, all, and, and KISS had never won. They never got close, but they pulled DJX out of the leadership position in the market. So uh, Stoner Broadcasting, LMA'd KISS, and all they wanted to do was turn it off. 
<laughs> That's really oh. all they wanted to do. They just nice. wanted it to go away. So people with real it. vision then. <laughs> yeah, they just wanted it to go away so DJX could continue to to dominate the the young adult market. And um, you know, it was the it was the early nineties, so uh, you know, I was the only one in the building, and this isn't a lie. I was the only one in the building who knew who Garth Brooks was. And they said, hey, he knows country. Let's let him program it. Let's flip it and go after AMZ. Just get it out of DJX's way. And my job was to pull WAMZ down 1834 enough to make WDJX the number one 18 to 34 radio station in town. And, right, right. and not only not only did we do that, we, we never even got close to beating WAMZ. I, don't, I mean, it was it was awful. It was a slaughter. But but we did we did a lot better than people were expecting us to. We had a, a small signal that was being delivered by satellite. Um, but the but the between the record stuff was pretty good. And um, mm-hmm. uh, it did better. And then they decided to pull it off the satellite. And then they gave us a bigger signal. And it just kept going and going and going to where, you know, we ended up. You know, top five and some demos and some, we did we did pretty good work. Uh, pretty well, now that sounds like a pretty real. That sounds like a pretty real programming job. Yeah, but it was and it wasn't. If you didn't get it, if you didn't get it out of real resources and you didn't know what you're doing, because I clearly did not. Um, uh, it was it was not really. Um, I didn't consider it my first real programming job. I do think WCHY in Savannah was my first programming job. I was absolutely on my own. I was in charge. I I was mm-hmm. hired to fix it. It wasn't a you know kind of a group situation like the Louisville situation was. So um, it was it it was absolutely the first real job, and and it it worked. I got there in April or May, uh, and quite honestly, I was gone by December. Um, and that was because mm. it worked. It worked. And yeah. we turned it around. And um, in those days, uh, having some success made you kind of valuable. Yeah. So there's a there's a phrase we like to hear. And that is really true. Now, listen, eventually you were hired at Whistle 100 in Greenville. And just so I, I'll just put my thing down here about how comfortable I am talking about you following me. I left that role uh, with that radio station at a 19.9 share. Never saw and, 99 again. Never saw it again. And well, well, but here's the here's the challenge. I, I saw them go through program directors, and I really started to worry. This was a radio station that I loved, and I felt at some point almost isolated, you know. And I watched that, and then you popped up on the horizon, and I was immediately calmed because of what I heard from people. And because, and I don't know if you'll like this at all, um, I considered you to be pretty similar to my style. And I thought that that would work well for you. And you did an amazing job at that radio station and in that group, in fact. Well, it's a great compliment. And I consider I consider it a great compliment. That's I love being in, in that sentence with you there. That's great. I, I um I don't know if you even know this about Whistle, but before I got the CHY job, mm-hmm. I I called W Whistle had Whistle had gone through multiple program directors. I think there were, I think there were three between you and me. I think that's I'm not right. Mistaken. And but but that job was open when I took the CHY job, and I begged Buddy Scott. Buddy Scott was the VP of programming hmm. for SFX, and I begged him on the phone. And by the way, oddly enough. He was the program director of KISS in Louisville when I took it over. 
Oh, so funny. He got he, he. By the way, don't feel bad for Buddy. Buddy owned the Buddy. Buddy owned the radio station with his brother and family. Uh, he he made out just fine. But I used hmm. to joke with him that I replaced him in Louisville as the program director. Um, <laughs> but 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 that was our that was our that was our connection. So when he was at Whistle and he was the VP of programming for SFX Broadcasting, I begged him to uh, be the program director of Whistle. I volunteered to work for free. Did you? I w- I'll come work until you hire someone. Just let me have the opportunity. He he wouldn't let me do it. Um, and he he sent me away, and that's how I ended up at CHY in Savannah. But but literally ten months later, Buddy Scott was calling me, asking me to come be the program director of Whistle 100 in Greenville. And um, mm. I, 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 it's just such a spec. To this day, it's a spectacular radio station. It's just a special place in a special city, and with special um, people. It's very special people. And and going into that situation, and it was like you said, it had a nineteen something just a few years earlier, and yeah. um, it had it had fallen on hard times. I think it was down to a twelve when I took it. Was it? It was, it was awful. It was a twelve share. It was just it was right. Awful. And I remember. I, I, How'd you I like to have a twelve that, share today? By the way. Oh my god! I would add a couple of radio stations together, and I couldn't get a twelve share these days. But the the whole idea of of the, I remember the ratings came off of the printer back in the olden days. Oh, my yeah. very first, my very first book of writing Whistle 100, and and I don't remember the exact number, but it went from a 12 something to a a 14 something. It was up. It was yeah. up, and it was still at number one. And it was, you know, by far, and it was it was a and it worked really hard. And I remember the general manager. Her name was Barbara Allen, and. And Barbara leaned back in her was, chair. This wait, was day wait, was, was Barbara your market manager? Yeah, Barbara hired me. She was the GM with, with Bula. Bula, Bula. Okay. And, and so Barbara, she, we, this was back in the day when you'd, you know, we'd build a fire in the studio to keep warm. And then you'd, you'd stand there and you'd watch the ratings come off of the printer. That's how you knew what the ratings were. You didn't, you didn't get weekly. You couldn't download them. You just printed them. And it would literally, you were reading it as it was coming out of the printer. And I remember standing there at the side of her desk and it came out and it went from a 12 to a 14. And I was so excited. And she leaned back in her chair and she said, oh, I remember when it was a 19. Oh, boy. And I, all I could think of was, well, this is the greatest moment of my life, and she just ruined it. <laughs> yeah, that's not uh, – Barbara Barbara is a a great soul, but sometimes. Well, no, you know. Barbara was spectacular to me. She was one of a kind, and she was a fantastic partner, and it, it was all good. And, and it's all about perspectives, right? So at it 12 – at 12, at a 12 share, they needed a new program director. At a 14 share, which was up and number one, that was good, but not as good as when it had a 19 and a 20 and years gone by. Well, uh, Barbara was my general sales manager. So just so that I, I put this down as well, she was an excellent, excellent partner for me as well. Highly passionate individual. Bruce, do you have a mentor or perhaps several people that you consider to be mentors for you in the radio business or, or even outside of the radio business? Oh, I have tons inside the radio business for all various reasons in no particular order. 
but because you already mentioned Rusty Walker, we'll we'll start there. Mm -hmm. I never worked with Rusty Walker specifically. Mm -hmm. While I was familiar with Rusty, I never really worked with him. But I worked with a gentleman by the name of Phil Hunt, who mm -hmm. is um, just one of the most spectacular humans. I I still find myself quoting Phil to this day to people. Um, yes. I don't ever I don't give him credit for it. Of course, I steal it and act like it's my <laughs> own. But but back in the day, he was just everything, and and he was doing CHY. And I believe that I got the opportunity to program CHY because Buddy Scott said, hey, this guy's driving me crazy out of Louisville. He's probably somebody you ought to look at. So they, so I ended up working with Rusty Walker's office and, and Phil Hunt specifically in Savannah. And there's absolutely no doubt in my mind, had I not had the opportunity to go to Savannah, I would never have were working with Phil Hunt, I would have never gotten the opportunity to do Whistle 100 because that was also a Rusty Walker client. And Phil well, it was, was Phil's baby friend. too. Yes, it was Phil's baby. So he he basically um, hand served me to SFX out of out of Savannah um, to Whistle, and it and it was great. So Phil Hunt is absolutely to this day still somebody I call for advice. I just think he's he's brilliant and a wonderful human being. Um, but I, actually, I actually call I actually call Phil a wisdom tree. A wisdom tree that makes sense. That makes yes. sense. Except except he's a little on the shorter side. He might be a bush. Well, he's a, he's also a giant, as Rusty was. Small <laughs> men who were. I do not disagree. Giants. I do yeah. not disagree. Buddy Scott would be a mentor. Also, Buddy, the years that we spent together early on at Whistle One Hundred, um, so I learned so much from him. Um, uh, again, in no particular order, Chris Schiebel, who was the program director of WDJX, who became so much more than just a program director for me. He was uh, he was almost kind of a life coach. Um, uh, he was in 1995, early 90s, whatever it was, he was a an out gay program director in radio. And I was in the closet and watching mm -hmm. watching him as a human also happened to be a spectacular program director uh, was just, it, it was, it was life changing for me in so many ways. Um, I, I just think Chris, Chris Schiebel has just been so important to me. Um, and there's, there's so many George Lindsay, uh, George Lindsay, who is doing mornings uh, at the bull in Houston. Um, he was the morning guy at WKJJ in Louisville, Kentucky. And I used to call him. I had a special number that I could get through on a line and uh, I could talk to him for hours. And he, he was a mentor in the eighties. And then we got the opportunity to work together a few years ago and he remained a mentor um, throughout that entire time. But just, just so many people um, have been important to um, me learning. You know, it's really interesting. The best people that we have on the radio rally, when we ask the question about mentors, they just spew a ton of them, uh, which I, tells I could, that just tells you who people are. Right. I could keep going. I, I, I there's just been there's been so many. Mark Chase uh, at iHeart gave me my first opportunity to uh, be a regional. Um, just just so many people just just. Um, peers that I consider mentors, just, it, 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 there's just no way I would be where I am without the help of all of these brilliant people that for me to steal ideas from. Right. If you're stealing from me, you're stealing twice, right? At least twice. At least. So, 
so listen, you and I, I, I don't know if you remember this, but at different points in our careers, we've had sort of this conversation. They always say that every ratings book in our business, you can be a genius and then an idiot and then a genius. One of the things we like to point out on the radio rally is that even the most successful people face bumps, scrapes and bruises in this business. It happens to everybody. Uh, you've been through downsizing. What advice do you have for others who face this modern reality of just being a part of the radio business in the 21st century? You know, you have to stay positive. Um, as someone who uh, has been fairly gainfully employed for most of my career, one of yeah. the things I one of the things I do to give back is is when I see uh, acquaintances or friends um, in this business that uh, get displaced. I try to keep up with them. I try to call them and check in on them mm -hmm. and send them emails. And, and, and the advice I'll give you, I'll tell you the same thing I tell most of them when I talk to them, is this isn't forever. Great people succeed. You're going to find something else. Yes. Uh, don't watch daytime television. Um, find, <laughs> find something you're going to have uh, up moments, down moments, screw it moments. Um, I'm going to go do something else moments. Nobody wants me moments. I'm the smartest person in the world moments. Um, and that could all happen in a single day. And um, just stay with it and you're going to come out of it. And if you need something, reach out. Don't be too uh, proud to call and say, hey, I'm having a bad day. Tell me a joke or or give me some encouragement because it, it, it happens to everybody. It's the career that we've chosen. It has nothing to do with who you are as a, as a, as a talent or a program director or as a manager. Um, it's just the business. You know, I mean, but, the, the, the first time I got downsized was in Louisville. And that's one of the reasons why I still look back and say it's not I don't consider that my first PD job. And that was because um, our, our good friend, Charlie Cook, who is now the head of country programming for Cumulus. Cumulus. Um, Charlie and Mike McVeigh were hired. Stoner broadcast sold to American Radio Systems. American Radio Systems brought in a new manager. The new manager brought in new consultants. The consultants came in. And I, I'm sure within five minutes of being in a room with Charlie Cook, he realized I had no idea what I was doing. And he um, slightly encouraged the nice people to change program directors. And that would have been a mm -hmm. devastating end of my career, except they fired three program directors on the same day. So they fired myself. They fired Chris Schiebel, who was the program director of a huge radio station. It wasn't ratings. It wasn't a ratings problem at DJX. And they fired the, the program director of one of the AMs as well, all on the same day. So while it was about me, it wasn't about me. It was it was very personal to me, but it was really just their changing business direction. And it was a well, great when things like that happen, it, another thing for people, it's hard for you not to take it personal. This is a passionate oh, business. It, I learned so every I learned so much just by that happening, because uh, my entire life was the radio station. All of my friends were at the radio station. <laughs> right? um, I, I spent 80 hours a week, 90 hours a week at the radio station, and Ooh. all of my friends were there. And then suddenly, while we were still friends, it hurt to talk to them. It hurt to hang out with them. I didn't want to. Yeah. I didn't want to go do that because it, you know, they wanted to talk about the new program director or the radio station or whatever, and that was the last thing I wanted to talk about. 
All right. Um, so listen, listen, I, I want to, I want to skip past this only because I got something really exciting and you'll have to forgive me. 17 years at iHeart for you. I, I'm just yeah. going to put that on you for a minute. Does it feel like that's true? It is, right? 17 years. Well, are you, counting, Media. are you counting uh, like the SFX days, like before it was iHeart Media? Maybe I'm counting it all. I can't, yeah, well, I can't it, get into how many names yeah, people had. Yeah, <laughs> I I got, 17 I got, years at iHeart, not only do you program Whistle 100 in Greenville, then you went to work at WKKT for a long and successful run there, but you began to experience split roles. Hello. And how much yeah. fun was it for you to run back and forth between the dual programming roles that you then inherited at Whistle 100 in Greenville and WTQR in Greensboro? Well, it was a, it was a wild time. Um, I I did own the most expensive Infinity ever made. Um, oh. I put so many miles. I put so many miles on a leased Infinity that it was it was absolutely the worst business investment I made in my entire life. I paid still paying that off. Thousand. I paid. I think something <laughs> like I, I. It was two cars later when I finally paid it off. I can tell you that. Um, oh boy. But, um, you know, it was fantastic. At one point, I mentioned Mark Chase earlier. I, yeah. I, they, they, I hard developed this role of regional vice president of programming. And, and the joke was you'd get up in the morning and you'd look at your phone to see if they changed your radio stations. Because they would change my markets and my territory just at the drop of a hat. I, at one point, mm. I had 13 markets and 70-some radio stations. And then I was down to, you know, one market or two markets and 12 stations or whatever it was. And and it was it, it was so exciting and so fantastic. I, I remember the very first time I, I, I went on my very first road trip um, with Mark Chase. I was to leave Charlotte and pick him up in Raleigh, and we were going to Virginia. And I didn't know anything about Mark Chase at all, except what I had read about uh, on the Power Pig all of my years growing up. So you were you were intimidated? <laughs> oh, he was. He well, yes and no. Um, he, so he gets in my car at the airport, and the and I'm really quiet. And he says, "Why are you so quiet?" He's always looking at his phone. He's always looking, why are you quiet? And I said, "Because I don't think I like you." <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and that was our oh. first conversation. And he literally put down his phone, maybe the only time in multiple years that we were together that he put down his phone. And um, he goes, what do you mean you don't like me? And I, and I kind of recounted some of the stuff that he did. He was into the guerrilla warfare. And, and um, I come to find out, of course, he's a spectacular human being who's just a radio genius. And I love him with every ounce of my being now. But, but that's how our world started. And as I, mm -hmm. um, as, as I started being a regional, it was great because you, you got to go work in all these different formats. Like I said, at one point, I had 70-some radio stations of all different formats. And while I've, I've made my career out of country, I love the fact that, that I, I, can, I could talk pretty serious classic rock with you. I can do classic hits. I can talk AC. I can talk CHR. I can talk urban. Yeah. Um, I, I, having the opportunity to learn all those things and then the ability back, back in those days when, when – when uh, you know you'd you'd get you'd take over these markets and there was still money rolling around at research, I got to sit in on research projects of all of these different um, formats. If so you feel the same way I do, you loved that, right? Oh my God, the the, the amount that I learned uh, in that 
period of time, it, it was like a master's class. It was right. so, and the people that you work with, you're in the room with Jim Ryan and Doc Winter and yeah, you know, right, brilliant, brilliant people from Coleman or you know, uh, it, it, critical okay. mass media, and it, just the amount of stuff you learn. That's uh, right. But, so okay, so let's ratchet up. Tell us about the role you played as national country brand coordinator for all stations nationwide at iHeart. It was my job to tell Clay Honeycutt he was right all the time. Oh, that nice. Was my, that was my job. Um, actually, it's kind of the opposite of that. We would have these long conversations uh, offline, um, not in front of everybody, where we sure. would just vehemently disagree, and then we'd get on there, and I would back him up 100%. He, my job was a research guy. I, I gathered research. I pulled it all into a report. I sent it all out to all of the program directors, and program directors were making their own decisions on music. And um, I would I would go into troubled properties all over the country uh, on someone else's dime, which was nice. I got to do a lot of really cool travel. Um, and uh, I would go into these markets, and, and we would – launch radio stations or tear radio stations apart or tear them apart and put them back together. Uh, we'd call it a deep dive. Um, if it got really, really bad, sometimes there would be three or four of us. I always felt bad for the program directors um, right. because, you know, you'd have this fly in where it's, you know, Mark Chase, myself, Clay Honeycutt, Doug Hammond, um, and then various other people uh, would show up in your conference room and, Hey, we've been listening for two or three days and, We'd like to tell you all that's wrong with your radio station. Sure. Um, Always so, fun conversation, right? Yeah. The You originally asked a question about running up and down the road with Whistle and Greenville. Uh, yeah, right. Between Whistle and Greenville and TQR and Greensboro. That came kind of on the backside of the regional stuff. Um, I was oh, you know what? In, I'm remembering that now. That is correct. Yeah. I was living in Charlotte. I was living in Charlotte. They changed my role with – Charlotte got this again. Talk about a great lesson to learn. Uh, uh, Charlotte had a general manager change. Um, it was rather abrupt, and I was named um, general manager, interim nice. general manager for the market. Which in those days, program directors never got that opportunity. But I was named uh, uh, just um, uh, just interim general manager, and I was general inter interim manager for however long it was, a few months while the search went on. Um, and then the new general manager came in and he didn't like how much power and how connected I was. And he made it quick work to get rid of me. So I went from being an ops manager who was great enough to be named. They looked around the building and they went, well, there's a DOS and a business manager and several sales managers. I think the program director would be the better person to watch the radio station for a while um, right. to being not smart enough to be the ops manager anymore, just by this one person who came in to be a general manager. So at that point, my job kind of got reassigned and I ended up doing Greensboro and Greensville from Charlotte. So I would I yes. work from, I, I did work from home Friday. You didn't even move. You didn't I even didn't move. move. Yeah, I, right. I worked I worked in Charlotte from Fridays and Mondays. Um, it was before you could – I could get Whistle at my house. I live on the south side. I could get Whistle uh, at my house, but I couldn't get TQR. Um, That's because you were living in South Carolina. <laughs> I was. I was right on the border. I was right at the lake. But the, the whole idea of being able to do that was I would, I would work from home uh, Fridays and Mondays. On Tuesday morning, I would get up and I would travel to either city. And I would stay there Tuesday night, 
and Wednesday night and then come back home on Thursday and work on Friday. And then I would alternate. So this week I was in Greenville. The week after that, I was in Greensboro. Um, but having the opportunity to work with that many radio stations that you believed in deeply and understood the product was, again, it, it, it's a gift. being able to do that on, on that level at multiple radio stations at the same time was spectacular. Well, and listen, if you're listening to us right now, we're talking to Bruce Logan, and the real theme in his life is not what a spectacular programmer he is. Of course, because that's I'm not. true. It, no, of course, that's true. The real theme is if you listen closely, you'll notice that there is an opportunity for a boat everywhere he goes. Okay, and that's really true. So I want you to keep that in mind as I talk about the, the next couple of things here. You were at Intercom, now Odyssey, for a little over five years. What did you enjoy about Houston? Um, well, if you've seen me, you know I enjoyed the Mexican food. Um, nice. And and I didn't, I, I went to work for CBS in Houston. Right. Um, I was part of, and what I loved about that was I, you asked earlier whether I, I had dreams about being Dick Clark or whatever. Yeah, and right. I, I also never had dreams about market size. Like it never really mattered to me, but all of a sudden I found myself in the top 10 market in, in Houston. And, and I would argue to this day, if you're going to be a country program director, I don't think there's a better place to program country music than Houston, Texas. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty spectacular. It's a it's a top ten market. It's the only market in the top ten. I'm sorry, uh, Atlanta is in there too, but but mm. Houston's the biggest one. Where it's two different companies own two different country stations, and and they're battling at it. You don't have it in New York. Right. You don't have it in L.A. You don't have it in Chicago anymore. So and and in Dallas, they're they're co-owned by Cumulus. So we there was Cox and a CBS station. And Johnny um, Chang is not asleep asleep at the wheel either. He is not. He is so not. He uh, if uh, Johnny and I are good now, but man, did he hate me early. Um, <laughs> he, he hated I'm, me. I'm sure you've had that problem a couple of times. <laughs> I, I'm I'm often hated. That's really not a problem. But the, yeah. but but going in there, going into work for CBS when when I got the opportunity, when the call, Houston, Texas, country. Um, come be the ops manager in Houston, Texas, run this great group of radio stations for CBS. Um, again, it was a radio station that was in serious trouble. Kilt was a legendary radio station that had just been dismantled by. Yeah, it was in serious trouble. (laughs) Just dismantled by Johnny and and all of the people at KKBQ, uh, Dean Hallam before him and just dismantled it. And, um, uh, having the opportunity to go in there and turn that situation around was huge. But but I'd never been a market guy. I never wanted to be in a top 10 market. I never wanted to be right. at, at blank market. But I just couldn't turn down that opportunity. And the people were spectacular. And um, the, rebuilding that brand. And, um, you know, we won our fair share against KKBQ. But when we took over, we were, I don't know, I think we were 18th, 2554. And KKBQ was number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when we, you know, when I left there five years later, we were basically tied at number eight and it had been like that for four years. Jimmy Steele so, appeared on, uh, the radio rally and he said something that was absolutely captivating. And I wonder if you'll back him up on this or you'll go, what? Um, he said that this is actually very simple. If you follow the right process and you do the right things, the outcome of winning is inevitable. Do you believe that's true? 
Um, 98% of the time, yes. Correct. Um, one of the things that I have always believed um, is that you learn more from your failures than your successes. Mm. And, yes. and when I was a regional for iHeart, we were uh, cocky and arrogant and believed that we did country better than anybody else. And we decided we were going to do a country in Raleigh. And we flipped, right. um, we flipped, uh, I can't, RDU, a rock station, classic rock station, WRDU, to country as the rooster. Mm-hmm. And we spent, I think it was $2 million on mm-hmm. research, marketing campaigns, um, talent, program directors, and such, and mm-hmm. just got our clocks cleaned. I'll just tell you, uh, because now is an okay time to do that. It's been so long. I was on the other side of that particular equation. <laughs> yeah. And I rather share that before. No, no, no. It's more of a private thing, what I was doing during that period of my life. <laughs> but but you know, I will you know, Lloyd, say it was spectacular. Well, you asked, I'm sorry, you, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You asked the question of, of if you do the right things. We did all the right things. We did We right. did a research project. We knew what the research said. We knew what the weaknesses were. We had job boy ability to be the morning show, which were huge. Right. They were going to do right. country at the time. They were all about Carolinas. We had, you know, again, arrogant, cocky. We thought we were just going to go in there and just absolutely uh, own that. And we got mm. our clocks clean. It's it's by far the biggest failure I've ever had in my entire career. And, and, and I learned so much from it because it's not just about playing the right songs and doing the right thing. It's that emotional connection that people have with the other radio station. You have to change that. You can't just, yes. You can't just tell you, look, I'm, I'm playing Alan Jackson songs now. It sounds like you and I can have a really priceless conversation offline a little bit later about this. <laughs> um, no, I don't. I don't it, like to go back and relive that, Lloyd. I don't. Like I to see. Talk about... <laughs> well, you do learn more from you know. Okay, so I so do. listen he, here. Here now comes my big complaint about Bruce Logan. You end up on the beach after five years in Houston. No kidding. No job. Maybe you're kind of sitting around asking yourself all the things we talked about earlier in this interview, right? Including what's the next chapter for me? What am I going to do? You know, the whole, oh, my God, I could be homeless. Oh, my God, what's going to happen? And it turns out for you, your next chapter was on the beach, West Palm Beach. How did that job materialize for you? I was, um, the end of that Houston run, I knew in, so I went to work for CBS, Intercom bought the radio stations uh, in the last year and a half-ish of my deal there. Um, And and Intercom, it was early in the wave, but Intercom, I, I think it's fairly well known now that it, all of the CBS stations that Intercom took over, that most of them, they went in and changed out program directors. But wonder I, why they did that. Hmm. I was the I was the front part. Of, well, I have some ideas, but I don't. Yeah, know me I, too. I don't know that that's where we should go right now. This is that's right. That's right. This is the encouragers. Lord. Uh, no, but, we're but encouraging. Was, it's okay. I was the front part of that wave, and it was it was a shock because literally the day. 
I was told in at the end of September that my contract wasn't going to be renewed in December. Right. And and we had um, we had done spectacular work at the Bull, and like I said, we had we had we had tied KKBQ um, in the ratings. We had flipped the top forty station to classic hits, and were literally the number one station in town. My Hispanic hmm. station with Mega was rocking. Um, we had a sports talk station that was killing it. We had a hot AC. Like, like if you just kind of looked over, the ops manager is doing a really good job. Why in the world wouldn't you redo that contract? It's easy to look back on now and go, mm-hmm. oh, they had they had bigger plans for the CBS program directors, and and those plans were no plans. Um, yeah, they had but plans for you. Plans for us. But the whole yeah. idea of that where where you say I, I was at the end of it. So from September to December, yeah. um, you know, no one on the team knew that I was leaving, but I knew. So I walked mm. around with it for two months and um, it was heavy and it was tiring. And at the end mm-hmm. of that, in a, in a changing environment and in a changing industry, um, and since I knew, I kind of, even before I knew in September, I kind of felt like it was coming because Intercom was not the company that I had gone to work for at CVS. And they right. didn't, they, they weren't real fond of the way I would question decisions or push. Well, it, it just before. was such a change in the wind, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. So, so I had the opportunity to really think about it. And, and fortunately, lucky for me, I had a great relationship with just a spectacular general manager. Her name is Sarah Frazier. And, mm-hmm. and I had the opportunity to kind of plan for it. And um, I was exhausted. I'd worked every day of my life since I was 15. And I had the opportunity to kind of take a break. I, was, I, had, I, I had decided and planned to be out for a year. I, I, I thought was, you did that well, by the way. Did I ever I tell was, you that? I thought you did that well. I just felt, well, thank you. I just felt like, you know, I, I could use a break. I've not had a break. Let's make plans. Let's, let's do that. Let's get our stuff in order. And we did. And, um, I was out for, I, and I, and I only, there were a couple of companies that I set my sights on. Um, you know, I had spent so many years at iHeart. I talked to them again, but nothing really made sense. I, I talked to Cumulus, nothing really made sense there. Um, but what I, I really wanted to go work for uh, either Hubbard or Bonneville because right. I, I felt that those two companies did. I felt like I could thrive there and I could be helpful there because they needed uh, and wanted, not needed, wanted. That's right. Um, they wanted people who would come in and build brands. Oh, well, wait, they want excellence. I, I know some of these people. They wanted excellence. They respected programmers. They respected the quality of brands, or they do. I should say I shouldn't talk about them as in past tense because we know that's not true. Um, but they, I mean, this is such a huge deal that I think anybody can today points at those companies and goes, "Oh, look at that! Look at that right there." Well, everybody has their own business model, and everybody has the plan that they're working, and and I that's think right. that. And, and and this isn't to say that iHeart or Cumulus or Intercom or, or excuse me Odyssey or or whomever is is not doing it right or whatever. But that's but correct because they're doing the what of, they're doing. They they have their plan and they're working right. it, and, I, and in many cases it's really well for them. But but I wanted to go someplace where I could use all the knowledge that I had and build talent and build brands, work with talent, 
and um and and try to build some brand and i was fortunate enough like i said plan to stay out a year i was fortunate enough to be in serious conversations with both hubbard and bonneville um and hubbard hubbard called uh and i came down for a couple of interviews and i really liked the general manager her name's elizabeth hama and we got along really well she's She's a, a, a Northeast lady, and um, she tells it just like it is, and we communicate extremely well uh, and mm-hmm. quick, and um, there's not a lot of words you got to dig through, and um, uh, it, we just clicked. And, and the idea of being able to join a company with like Hubbard that, that was um, rebuilding a cluster of radio stations that they acquired from Alpha. So you, you went from Alpha, the people here went from Alpha to Hubbard, and right. the idea to come in as part of the Hubbard team and to help rebuild these brands um, was just something that I couldn't pass up. So six months into my uh, year-long planned vacation, um, I, I got a call. We were, we were vacationing in Palm Springs, California. I was literally floating in a swimming pool when the phone rang and I had my, my AirPods in and I answered the phone, not knowing who it was. And the job offer was there. And I said, I'll call you back. I yelled at my husband who was sitting on the side of the pool. And I said, do we want to go back to work yet? And (laughs) And he goes, and he said, he said, I really would like you to go back to work. I think I was driving in bananas. (laughs) So I called him back. We accepted the job. I left. Uh, I literally flew from Palm Springs directly to Minneapolis. My first day was uh, corporate meetings. Um, mm. I had to buy clothes in Palm Springs because all I bought was all I brought was T-shirts and shirts sure. to Palm Springs. You had a plan. Yeah. So listen, uh, this is such a good story, and I'm so glad that you get to tell it with us and and we get to talk about some of these things, including, by the way, that you and I share this philosophy of radio companies have different business models. And a lot of people get confused about what's happening. It's like, oh, this company's bad or that company's bad. No, it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. They have a set of assets and they have a plan that they are working. And if you're taking money from them, you should be working their plan, Right. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. That's why, you know, you're looking for the right fit for Bruce Logan, right? Which is amazing if, that you have that. If you're working at Publix or you're working at Macy's right. or Nordstrom's, you're working Macy's plan. You're working Nordstrom's plan. That's what you're yep. doing. So, and by the way, speaking of people, Elizabeth, you, I, I assume she is still your boss right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, she Absolutely. looks amazing from everything that I know, her attitudes toward her people, her leadership looks really incredible. So good for you landing yeah, where no, you are with such good people. She's spectacular. Um, and the, the cluster that we have, the group of people, um, the people we've hired and added to the team that was already there. Um, just, just great. I mean, it really is. It's, it's just great. Hubbard is the tools that they provide the encouragement that they provide, the support that they provide. It is, if there is a better uh, working opportunity for a talent or a creative person in programming in America, I don't know where it is because Hubbard is, it's, it's, I I just can't say enough things about it. They care about people. They care about, Mm -hmm. um, and, and I don't mean they care about people like 
um, saying employees are our most important asset. I mean, right. all We've all heard true, that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean that. I mean, they care about you. Right. Like, like they call and say, how are you Well, look, or, I, or, I happen to know that the CEO of that company might call you and say, hey, I was concerned about this going on in your life. Are you okay? Yeah. Very true. <laughs> that doesn't really happen, right? No, no, it's very true. It's very, very true. It's just, it's, it's a spectacular opportunity. And there are great companies out there too that, you know, and there are great situations, but I, I, I just right. feel so fortunate and so blessed to have been, able to uh land in west palm we love south florida uh we love the situation in the house and and the weather and the company and the people and the city and um it's spectacular it really is and you're, I've, I've, and you're not a guy that likes to celebrate a lot but you throw really amazing parties i know both of these things about you well i appreciate how that. does that work? long time it's been a long time <laughs> Uh, I think Lloyd is referring to New Year's Eve. I think you it and your lovely wife, Teresa, came to a New Year's Eve party in Charlotte. You know, we stopped those in 2000, mm. 2007 was the last uh, big oh, New Year's Oh, that's party. okay. I've seen your social. I know that you had a big Thanksgiving party. So Well, well it was six people. It was six people, and it was uh, wonderful, very, very close friends. But, but you know, we, we – we like to celebrate with our friends. We like friends yes. and I like to host and I like to celebrate. You know, the one thing we've left out of this conversation that, is, um, I don't know where we're headed, but you're, you should be thankful that I actually showed up for this uh, call. Oh, oh, why is this? Because in 1997 and I, and I, yeah. and I realize it's been 23 years now or 25 years, but I, I've, um, I, and I'm still not over it. In 1997, I was a brand new program director at Whistle 100 working for SFX Broadcasting. And so I started in December. Country Radio Seminar was February or March of the following year. And um, I was desperately trying to fit in with the cool kids of the cool program directors of SFX. And um, uh, Dave Kelly, who is now at Big Machine Records, and mm -hmm. um, Lloyd um, uh, at the meeting said, hey, we have this tradition that on the first morning of CRS, we do a breakfast as just the SFX program directors to just kind of set the table on the things that we need to work on while we're here as a group. And being all excited i wanted to be a part of that so i agreed to meet you and dave kelly at i don't know 7 a.m or something on the first morning of crs um uh only to get to breakfast the next morning hungover and not in a great way to find out that i'd been punked that there wasn't a breakfast the question was just whether the new guy would show up or not i don't remember this that's oh, interesting Oh, I, it absolutely happened because I'm still, it's like I said, it's been a while. I'm still carrying it around. I'm still very angry about it. Um, so the, you, <laughs> you have this pent up inside you. This is the yes. thing. Yes, this is the thing. This well, is the thing well, we'll have I, to do breakfast at CRS or I, something. No. Yeah. I'll, I'll uh, listen, you, you just want to, I just want you to show up at 7 a.m. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, listen, yeah. listen, uh, I have one last question for you. And look, if I told you the two books I'm reading right now, it would make your head hurt like it does mine sometimes. But I'm really interested in the topic I'm about to bring up. Um, you, you probably know this about me. Curiosity drives my life. Curiosity and strategy is two of my things that I'm very highly passionate about. Here's the subject. 
no one can predict the future. We all know this is true. Okay, there there might be a couple people that disagree with that, but they're like usually woo. Um, our business is tight. We know this. How do you see the future of radio from your perspective, and what advice do you have for everyone, and I mean anyone, thinking about their future in this business? Well, I think it would depend upon who we're talking to. If we're talking to the talent, I yes. would tell the talent that I don't know that your future has been this bright in a decade. And and I and I mean that with all of my heart. I, I think that that the way that that the public is consuming audio, yes. and 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 the spoken word, and all of this on demand, for the first time in a very long time, people and personalities are the forefront of this opportunity. Absolutely. So if you're a, if you're a talent, and and especially if you're an excellent talent. And you're not taking this opportunity to be everywhere your audience is, whether it's on social or podcasting or whatever it is that, that your audience is at. If you're not taking that opportunity to expand your personal brand, you're missing an opportunity because there is, there is a very, very bright future for the people who can separate themselves from, um, I have a podcast and three people downloaded it to people who can actually entertain and, and create a, and create an audience on, on a podcast or, or some sort of social network. Listen, I, I will go, I will go further than that, Bruce, to say that now is such an explosive period of time that we're just on the lip of that. I think that, that this is actually a significant worry for the radio business uh, as a business that, that our talent is what protects this business and protects the revenue value of our business as a system. And there are other opportunities that are opening up for talent. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Our bench isn't very good. I think we right. haven't necessarily done a great job for obvious reasons. And that's probably a whole different um, clubhouse experience, but for, for a whole different a variety of reasons, I think that we've, we've knocked down our B and our C players that yes. with any luck could be a players one day. Um, but there's no farm team. There's no, you know, there's not nights, there's not overnights, there's not weekends in most radio stations. So you right. haven't been able to develop that. So, so I think that that's a, that's a challenge, but if you're a program director in this time and you can work with talent or you can build a brand and, and you can stay true to a brand and you can actually think and 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 not just follow. Hey, I got an email that says I need to add these records and change these rotations and put in these sweepers. Um, right. If you if you can think on your own, there's just huge value and huge upside for you. And it may look different. It may not be, you know, a radio with a tower and a transmitter. It could be a digital platform. It could be anything. Um, That's right. But I, I think that opportunity is there. We we tend in this business to fence ourselves in and think, oh, I'm the I'm a country program director. I can <laughs> right? I can only I can only be the program director where I get to pick these records and work with these, uh, you know, these talents who make uh, jokes. And it's it's not true. But I, I, I just think that the future. Quite honestly, I feel like the future is brighter now than it's been in a decade. I mean, I was much more negative and much more concerned about our business a decade ago than I am now. Very interesting. Bruce, I, I, we're so 
grateful and you know we tried to set this up for a long time so it's really good that we work this out and have the opportunity to ha have you on the radio rally i hope you'll stick around with us for a few minutes in case some of our folks might have a question or two for you here uh in just a moment does that sound okay anything you need like all right i love it uh, listen we launched the radio rally and innovation and audio and we do these live events on Clubhouse every Monday and every Wednesday, both at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific, just to encourage radio, to encourage innovation, and to help encourage anyone's career in audio. Anyone can join in and be a part of this conversation. But we also have special events, too. You know, we are, as Bruce said, encouragers. Mark your calendar and join us if you have anything whatsoever to do with sales because the 2022 sales liftoff planning your bigger revenue year is coming Thursday, January 13th. 2 p.m. Eastern, a little bit different time for us, 11 a.m. Pacific. We will be joined by sales consultant Alec Drake. Now, listen, he just spent 15 years as the director of sales with Cumulus Media in Dallas. He's going to join us. We are going to open up a panel of sales partners or revenue partners to discuss not only Q1, recruiting, and a roundtable with actionable items to help you and your team grow revenue in 2022. Listen to our revenue partners just for this Q1 live event. Chuck Wood is going to be with us. He will be joined with uh, by Scott Howard. Now, Chuck Wood is the vice president and general manager of Delta Media Corporation. They are a multimedia company comprised of seven television stations and nine radio stations. You think he could tell us something? That's in South Louisiana. And Scott Howard is the general sales manager for Whoa Whoa Radio Federated Media in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Two totally different markets with distinct things happening. You're going to hear about coronavirus. You're going to hear about the variants. You're going to hear about shutdowns. You're going to hear about all the things that have been going on and, and what they think the future looks like and how they've gotten their way through this. When we do these live events, we make it very clear every time that we don't push people to come up on the stage and talk. Some people, uh, many actually, just like to listen. And uh, we want this to be a safe place for anybody to do that. At the same time, if you've got a question for our guest, we want to offer you two ways to get that done right now. One, you can raise your hand, look down on the app itself uh, on your actual screen. You will see a little hand down there. That little hand is in front of a notebook. Click on that. That will identify for us that you want to come up onto the stage. When we press it, I will bring you onto the stage here on Clubhouse. We do ask that you mute your mic until you're called upon. If you don't want to come on the stage, you can just shoot me a quick IM message on the app with your question, and I'll try to get it in. Don't forget, coming up next Monday, January 10th, Molly Kendrick will be with us. She is the social media captain for CHR and Hot AC at Odyssey, and she will be joining Joined by our other guest, Kat Haley, who is a content creator and TikTok star with 765,000 followers. She's also the host of SiriusXM's TikTok channel. And uh, I will be joined with a, a co-host for this event. That will be Corey Dillon, who does mornings at 100.7 Big FM in San Diego. I, I do uh, have a question from the audience for you, Bruce, and this is if it, it and I know you're going to hate this question, but, well, you get what you get. Uh, if you're if you are not programming 
radio stations. What do you think you might like to attempt? Uh, if we're don't talking about it. If we're, yeah, you know, I don't know if we're talking about a, a real answer. I, I just don't know that I'm ever going to be happy not trying to help other people achieve their goals. Okay, but you can do that in a lot of different lanes. You've yeah, got really that's, good that's, skills. Yeah, no, that's that's kind of what I mean. So any job, um, any job that I would take would have to be something involving helping other people get to their goals. And and um, I, I don't. I mean, I know you, you, you want, did you want me to say like a fisherman, like a boat captain or something? Like, oh, no, that sounds you, good. I don't, I don't like that. Do. But I, I, think, um, I think the whole idea of, of being able to work with a talented group of people to achieve their success um, right. uh, is, is the kind of thing that I would look for. And, and, you know, I think we've all done this. I mean, I've had I've now had uh, two well, three opportunities since the 90s to think, OK, well, what else should I be doing? And, and I've explored things and I've talked to people and I've gotten close to stuff, but it mm -hmm. still just came back to this is my passion. I just love doing it. Um, um, so anything that I can do to help people uh, achieve their goals, I, 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 uh, I am hopeful that I win the Powerball tonight and then I can just do whatever the hell I want to do. Oh, that um, would be retirement then, right? That's my, oh, no, I probably wouldn't retire. Um, because I, oh, I say that. enjoy it. Yeah, no, I don't know, Lloyd. I think I enjoy it too much. But, but I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have a much to my my mother's chagrin. I don't really have a backup plan. Oh, it's a, oh oh, you're gonna like this one. Uh, <laughs> what do you find most programmers miss when they roll into a new market? Hmm. Um, that well, I mean, you've done that. Everybody that everybody that's there is not stupid. And I think that that's, I think program directors have a tendency to take over a new market and go, well, I'm here because I'm smarter than everybody else. And that's just simply not true. Um, and I certainly was guilty of that early in my career. Um, but but that's probably the, the biggest miss. You have to, um, you know, we 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 definitely experienced um, in Houston when I was there, the sales staff had been very successful while the radio station wasn't successful. Mm. And um, I had, I probably repeated this sentence multiple times. Our future is not found in our past. Because if we're going to rebuild this once lofty brand, um, all of that stuff is gone in the audience's mind. I have research that tells you that. So we've always done it this way, or this is the way we uh, did it last time is not. Um, going to work in that situation. So, you know, kind of the balance of that, not repeating the mistakes of others, but also not knowing that or, or not thinking that you have all the answers. We can't wrap things up without asking a question that's come to my mind many times during this conversation. Um, I am not kidding you that I have had a variety of different people from your career path, glide path, tell me talent about you, about how they feel about you, about how much they like you. And it, it makes me as an encourager want to ask you about your philosophy about people, Bruce. Can you well, kind of sum that up for us? Isn't that nice that um, people think that, um, you know, I think, um, honesty is, 
uh, the only thing I know how to do. And that honesty comes from uh, telling general managers that their babies are ugly, that their radio stations aren't great, or that these people aren't working to their highest ability. It also mm. comes with telling talent in a kind way, hey, that's not getting it done. Um, I see our uh, old friend, Bill Ellis, um, mm -hmm. hang, hanging out in the waiting room. And I mean, you talk about intimidating. Bill Ellis has been doing mornings at Whistle 100. <laughs> he is intimidating, isn't he? He's, he's been doing mornings at Whistle 100 since, what, 90? He's the something, first program director, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And he's still there doing it and doing a spectacular job, uh, doing yes. a great show every day. And, and I remember walking in as a program director who had had a mild amount of success in Savannah, but, but had, you know, really, I was a baby program director. And um, Bill Ellis told me one day, I, I was scared to death of him and Chris James. And, and, and I, 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 they told me one day, Bill said, I don't know when it happened, but at some point I realized you were my boss and it didn't start out that way. And um, uh, it was one of those things where I went in there and I just basically I just I begged and I asked him to do it my way. And I, I pleaded and 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 he reluctantly did. And it worked and he did it again. And just over the course of that time, I'll just never forget that moment where he told me, I don't know when it happened, but somehow you became my boss. And he had had several program directors fired at that point. I don't I, I know you remember that because there were people in my and. And, and Mr. Ellis was like, nope, don't like this one. That one needs to go. Well, um, listen, it, look, it's fair to say, I think this is fair to say, and I don't know if this is true for you, but I think that Bill Ellis, and we're just we're just kind of slapping his name around. It's so lovely, isn't it? Uh, Bill Ellis, who should be in the Country Radio Hall of Fame, without absolutely. question, absolutely. without question, and who should be in possession of at least three CMA trophies right now. Agreed. Okay, including including he each know, two. That, by the way, if, if he had them, and, he wouldn't know where they were. But go ahead. Well, that's what I was going to say. I said two of at least he wouldn't even know where they were. But mm -hmm. he should have them. That should occur. It is a travesty that that has not occurred, and that the radio station has not gotten its due. And I can't, for any reason, tell you why not. But I will tell you this: I think that Bill Ellis is the smartest morning show talent I have ever worked with, and he is. Uh, in that way, a little bit frightening, and it, it does make yeah. you giggle a little bit when you can watch him work. Yeah, it's frightening. But to answer your original question, Lloyd, I think that that, that honesty, being able to tell people in a kind way and in a way that they can learn from it that, hey, yes. maybe that wasn't great. Right. And and um, that is a skill that I um, I practice and I, uh, I exercise it. And I, um, I, I, I hope that that's the, that honesty piece because they can trust me. That also means when I tell them it was great, it was great. Yep. Cause that's I'm not correct. just going to tell them, I'm not going to tell them it was great just to make them happy. That's right. Well, listen, Bruce, thank you so much for being on this live program with us. And, and uh, I hope you come back. If we do some kind of roundtable thing at some point, we'd love to have you there, too. Okay. Anything you want. Thank you for joining us every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Radio Rally. Remember, if you know somebody that you would like to hear as a guest on the Radio Rally, email me, F-O-R-D, at RainmakerPathway.com. 
By the way, if you haven't checked out our schedule, you can get our schedule for both the Radio Rally, our Monday night event, and Innovation in Audio, which will sort of blow your mind a little bit. Uh, we do that every Wednesday right here on the Clubhouse app, and they're also podcast, of course. Uh, we hope that you have an absolutely spectacular week. We like to say at Rainmaker Pathway and on the Radio Rally, once you have a radio station, you can get anything else you want. If that's confusing to you in any way, call me. I'd love to share with you exactly what I mean. Our thanks to Bruce Logan for being our very patient and giving guest. A very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which will be available in the next 20 to 30 minutes. Thanks to Joe Kelly. And also thanks to JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing the podcast. Please do share our podcast, the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, and the Encouragers uh, Innovation and Audio podcast with others that you know are interested in growing their careers in audio, people who are interested in innovation. Both podcasts are available at just about anywhere you can put your hands on podcasts today. Please remember, if you don't remember anything else that you've heard tonight, you certainly have heard this from Bruce Logan. You will hear this from me every time I get a chance to talk. Be kinder, than you have to be. Thank you for being part of the Radio Rally and the Encouragers, and good night.